Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. I want to introduce our engineer, hardworking Pete Paquette. Gets us on the air. Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And I want to introduce to you Terry Smith. He's the lead pastor of the Life Christian Church in New York City for 30 years. His book is out. It's called The Lord Bless You, A 28-Day Journey to Experience God's Extravagant Blessings. Terry, uh, welcome back to Orlando. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and it's great to be with you, Pat. It's always fun to talk to a legend. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) I feel the same way. Before we get into your book, tell me about your church. Yeah, actually, our church is headquartered in West Orange, New Jersey, which is just outside of New York City. It's 12 miles from Times Square. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just celebrated, in fact, 31 years of leading this church. My wife and I founded it, and uh, it has grown to a thriving church of several thousand people known for its diversity. And uh, it's just a beautiful community of people. We love it. And we're really grateful to have had such a great run here. Terry, how did your new book come about? You know, I was studying Genesis. There should be perhaps a more exciting answer than that, Pat, but it gets pretty exciting when you dig into it. Um, I was studying Genesis and was overwhelmed when I noticed something that should have been obvious to me a long time ago, and that is in God's very first interaction with humanity, Genesis 128, the scripture says simply, God blessed them. Mm. And I was fascinated with this idea that the very first thing that happens between God and people is he blessed them. And then, you know, of course, he, he blessed them knowing that they would fall sick with sin and would uh, refuse his blessing and end up living under a curse. But then I noted that the rest of Genesis, and many scholars say actually all of Scripture is about bringing the blessing back. And that's how you open your book. There are four sections, a blessing, purpose, people, and gratitude. So let's start with section one, blessing. Adam sneezed. Good God, align yourself, live a masterpiece, Church of the Rooster, Prosperity Redefined, Meet the Gardener. I want to hear all about this, um, uh, Terry. Ah, I hope we have a day together, Pat. Uh, So, yeah, the first chapter is Adam Sneeze. So where in the part of the world I'm in, I'm not sure this is true everywhere, but in the part of the world I'm in, if someone sneezes, Everyone around them, regardless of their background, says, bless you. I started wondering where that came from. I discovered that it came from an edict of Pope Gregory in 600 A.D. 
the bubonic plague was spreading like crazy. People were dying by in the droves, and Gregory uh, knew that one of the symptoms of this sickness was a sneeze. That when someone sneezed, it might be an indication that they were they were about to get sick, and so. Pope Gregory said that everyone was mandated to offer a prayer whenever anyone sneezed. God bless you. It was a prayer for their health. It was a prayer that if they wouldn't get sick, and if they did, that they would recover. And it occurred to me that God blessed humanity in the beginning, knowing that they were about to get sick. Adam sneezed. But God blessed them anyway, because that's his nature, that's his heart for people, and that's what he's going to have when all is said and done. Let's move to section two. It's called Purpose, Blessing and Purpose, Invitation to Adventure, Indispensable Use, Someday Morning, Risk and Reward, Resistance Training, No Sweat. What's all this about? Uh, Explain that. Well, so... uh, First thing that happens in Scripture between God and humanity is He blessed them, but then in the same breath, literally the same sentence continues to tell us how He purposed them. He then told them what He made them to do. As people created in God's image, they were to multiply God's image through this planet and spread what they had in Eden everywhere. They were essentially they were to be in relationship with God and to join God in His work. So I like to talk about how this blessing is inextricably related to purpose, that it's impossible for us to live a fully blessed life if we're not living out our purpose. And I I speak in the language of adventure, you'll notice in some of the chapter titles, because I do, in fact, believe that God invites us to an adventure, to partner with him in doing what he's doing on the planet. He decided not to finish it himself. But rather, he created people, and he invites us into who he is and what he's doing. And this is an amazing thing. The next topic, people, a sacrament of blessing, how to give a blessing. The kiss still works, the first institution of blessing, strong environments of blessing. Bless who? One new humanity. Boy, that word blessing keeps coming up there, Terry. Explain all this to us. Yeah, so, you know, part of how God uh, decided to bring the blessing back was to choose out of everyone on the planet a guy named Abraham with whom he made covenant and uh, to whom he said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the world through you. Blessing is never just about what God does for us or to us, but blessing is also about what God does through us. And so our relationship with people, the way that we interact with people, the way ultimately that we bring blessing to people is incredibly important to what it means to live a blessed life. It's never just about us. It's always about God and what God's doing through us to others. So In order for someone to live a truly blessed life, we must figure out what it looks like for us in our own context to create an environment of blessing everywhere we're at. I want you to 
explain blessing a little bit more. Uh, we we toss it around. God bless you. And uh, how, how do we know that we're blessed? I mean, I, I I need I need you to dig deeper for us. So I define blessing like this. I say to be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God, who wants to do good in us, to us, and through us. So. First of all, there's this idea that when we're in harmonious relationship with God, which is what he intended when he made us, that we have peace with God. And um, when you look at the word peace in Scripture, both Old and New Testament, it's related to this concept of shalom, not just the absence of conflict. It's uh, about everything working together in our lives the way God meant for it to So when we're in harmonious relationship with God, everything in our life is looking more and more the way God intended in the beginning. I like to talk about how our lives look less like wilderness and more like Eden. So blessing is, first of all, about having peace with God, which, again, isn't just about him not being angry at us. It's about shalom, everything in our life working the way it's meant to. Then we understand that God gets up every day, which isn't the right way to say it theologically, but you know what I mean. He gets up every day to do good in us, to us, and through us. And so when we talk about God doing good in us, uh, sometimes God will do in us in a way, uh, do good in us in a way that might not appear he's doing good to us. In other words, he's always first and foremost concerned about the development of our character, that Our character is developed to be more like Christ, and then he also does good to us. There are all kinds of—Scripture talks about how God gives us benefits. I mean, there are tremendous benefits that overflow into our lives when he does good in us. Then he can do good to us, and then, of course, again, he does good through us. He uses us to mediate blessing to the world around us. My guest is Terry Smith. He's been pastoring in the New York City area for many, many years. His book, The Lord Bless You, A 28-Day Journey to Experience God's Extravagant Blessings. Terry, let me me divert for just a minute here. Uh, I read the New York papers every day. I get the New York Post. I get the Times. I follow things very closely. Uh, and I must say I'm concerned uh, with New York, the, the crime level and things that are going on. Is that overrated? Am I, should I be um, deeply concerned as an American citizen? What do you see going on in your city? Well, that's a great question, Pat. I, I absolutely love this, this city, this metropolitan area. I felt I'm a kid from Indiana who felt called to build a great church in a suburb of New York City when I was a teenager, before I'd ever even been here. Really? Mm. Yes. Uh, and I talk a little bit about that, in fact, in, in this book. But I, I think there's cause for uh, concern about what's going on in New York City, and at the same time, I would say that the media hypes things up a little bit. Um, I mean, the, the data is the data, but 
in comparison to what this city was experiencing in the 70s and uh, in the, uh, I guess it would be early 80s, even, even, well, yeah, into the 80s, even when I arrived here in the early 90s, the city's in much better shape than it was then. So uh, has there been a little backsliding in this last few years? Yes. Um, Crime has risen some, yes. But when you go into New York City, it's still that same wonderful experience. I mean, I, I love to go in, walk the streets, enjoy the museums, the theaters, the restaurants. And the truth is, I don't notice that much different than I would have noticed three or four years ago. Well, that's encouraging, Terry, to those of us who uh, are not near New York City. What, what is it like being a Christian in that neck of the woods? Challenging path. Um, this is a a challenging place to be a faithful Christian to practice Christian orthodoxy, which I mean to be true to Scripture, the teachings of Scripture as they've been understood over the last two thousand years, and to represent Christian values. Um, at the same time. Um, Our church, and frankly, personally, I have great favor in the community that we're in, which is West Orange, New Jersey. It's a bedroom community of about 50,000 people. uh, It's a a bedroom community for New York City. And um, somehow or another, let's let's put it like this. Um, When we were a church of two or three hundred people, many years ago, and young and growing, people in town would call us a megachurch, because no one in our town had ever seen a Christian church grow. No one alive had ever seen a Christian church thrive, prosper, grow, build. Now, that's changed some, thankfully. There's been somewhat of a spiritual revival in the last uh, 20 years here in the New York City area. Um, and so there are, there are many more churches that are flourishing, but, um, still in this community of, of 50,000 people, there are, I think, three other, for lack of a better way of saying it, Bible-believing churches, um, churches that would practice, uh, Christianity as we've understood it to be for the last couple thousand years. So, um... It's, it's a challenge, but, you know, years ago, there was no one on the town council, no one in the leadership of government here who was a, a believer. Well, that's mm-hmm. changed, uh, and frankly, one of the reasons for that is our church has grown and uh, gained influence, and um, now there are a lot of people playing important roles in the community who are faithful Christians. My guest is Terry Smith. we got another segment with Terry. His book... The Lord bless you. I'm Pat Williams. This is the Saturday Power Hour, and it's AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. 
You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Terry Smith, lead pastor of the Life Christian Church in New York City, many years. We're talking about his book, The Lord Bless You. Terry, we've covered part one, section one, blessing, section two, purpose, section three, people. Now the biggie, section four, gratitude. Thank you. Join the Angels Choir in great, in all circumstances, temporary darkness. Give it back, the blessed God. Boy, that sounds like a real platter. I need you to explain it. Thank you. And part of living a blessed life is living with gratitude. In fact, um, social sciences are proving now that when someone practices the discipline of gratitude, is intentionally grateful for the blessings they already have in their life. It affects everything else in their life in positive ways, and it even opens us to the probability of being blessed even more. And um, that's certainly in line with what I understand of Scripture. Let me, let me, um, I've, I've been speaking kind of theoretically, um, let me let me just dig into one chapter a little bit to make it perhaps a little bit more fun. Is that okay, Pat? Oh, please. So I have this chapter called Join the Angels Choir. The fact is that there are a number of complaints choirs functioning around the world. Complaints choir is where people get together, write, their complaints, and then compose music with which they sing their complaints. And it's in all kinds of musical styles, and it's, this, is, this has happened all over the world, from England to Singapore, Australia, Finland, even uh, some of, one of your old stomping grounds, Philadelphia, where they, uh, where they get up with the green looks on their faces, and they sing songs of complaint. I talk about how that must affect someone's life when their entire life feels like a song of complaint. I talk rather how I like to join the angels choir, you know, sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. It seems like that we should be singing with gratitude in our hearts. In fact, there's this great passage in Colossians that says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And I just think, you know, those are two different ways to approach life. This is one chapter of seven in the gratitude section, but I just really encourage people to think about what it looks like to be a part of a complaints choir rather than to be a part of a choir that's constantly singing to God with gratitude in your heart and how that affects the level of blessing in your life. Terry, uh, before we um, run out of time, I want you to talk to us about uh, praying, how to pray, when to pray, what to pray, where to pray. Uh, It can be very confusing to people. Uh, your, your your thoughts on all of that? Well, 
I define prayer as communication between us and God about who we really are and what we're thinking and doing together. It's a big idea, but simply, I think prayer is about being in conversation with God where we're both talking and listening, and we're talking about who we are. He's revealing himself to us. We're being honest with him about who we are, though he knows we need to nonetheless confess that. And then we have conversations about what we're thinking and about what we're doing together. I mean, we're in partnership with God. We're on this great adventure, living out our God-given purpose. And so we have a lot to talk about together. And I think in that larger context, then, that we have the, the, the privilege of asking God for things and uh, knowing that when we ask, that's uh, in the engagement of our will, uh, that, that ask God who uh, doesn't impose himself on our lives to come into our lives and do the kinds of things only God can do. But having said all of that, perhaps the simplest thing to say is prayer is just talking with God. And, you know, a lot of times I've had people say to me, how do I pray? And I've said, um, well, say that to God. And they look at me with a blank stare, and then they say to God, how do I pray? And then I say, well, you just pray. Just talk to God. And then a grandchild said to me the other day, okay, talk to God, but where is he when he when I pray, when I talk? How does he hear me? Is he up in heaven? And how do my words get all the way up to heaven? Pretty good question. That's a pretty good question. I mean, you start getting into grandchild questions, and I probably am going to get out of my expertise here, Pat. <laughs> I mean, God's everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Just when we pray. That's fascinating. Terry Smith is our, our guest. So what, what do you want, Terry? What do you want people to take from your book? Well, I want people to live with an expectation every day that God wants to bless them, and he wants to use them to bless others. Sadly, Pat, I think a lot of people don't have that kind of view of God um, for whatever reason, and that's another discussion entirely. People have a mentality like Adam and Eve had in the garden after they sinned and realized they were naked. They have a sense of shame and they hide from God when what God wants to do is, is cover them through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and be in intimate relationship with them, bless them and partner with them to do his work in the world. God wants to bless people. And how do we bless other people? Uh, Terry, do you have some thoughts for us? Sure. I think, well, there's a chapter in the book when I get really specific about how to give a blessing. Part of blessing, now there are many ways we can bless people, but one technical way we can bless people is when we have a positive attitude towards them, when we're for them, when we speak words that confess to them how valuable they are to us, when we are specific as to as as to ways 
They have blessed our life when we're specific as to good things we see for their future, when we're clear about ways that we'd like to help them bring that future to pass. There's this beautiful thread in Scripture of how you know, the patriarchs, for instance, would bless their children and their grandchildren. It had a whole lot to do with reaching out, putting their hands on them, and speaking words of blessing that created new reality in their lives. And we all have the potential to do that. There are some people for whom we are a singular source of human blessing, let's say, for instance, our children. But then the people around us need to feel blessed by us in the way we conduct ourselves towards them every day in many, many ways. Terry Smith, lead pastor of the Life Christian Church in New York City for 30 years. Terry, how old were you? we got about 60 seconds left. Uh, How old were you when you decided, I want to pastor a church? What happened? Uh, I would say it was more calling than decision. That I just somehow knew in that place where you know the things you know you know. We would call that our spirit. I knew that God had called me to be a pastor, and I felt certain he called me to be a pastor in the New York City metropolitan area. And I was probably hmm, 16, 17 years old. Hmm. What a great story. Terry Smith has been our guest. The book, Lord Bless You. And speaking of books, my latest book is just out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? Uh, I interviewed hundreds of coaches and asked them one question. Who was the key person in you becoming a coach? You'll enjoy it. So when you go up to Amazon to order The Lord Bless You by Terry Smith, uh, pick up a copy of Who Coached the Coaches? We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Terry Smith, our guest in that first segment, lead pastor of the Life Christian Church in New York City. His book that we talked about, The Lord Bless You, a 28-day journey to experience God's extravagant blessings. Well, we go from the Big Apple down to Southwest Virginia, a little town called Narrows, Virginia. And we discovered Brooke McLaughlin there, founder of Million Praying Moms, and her book is out, Everyday Prayers for Peace, a 30-day devotional and reflective journal for women. Brooke, welcome to Orlando. How are you? I am doing well, Pat. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, tell me about this uh, this Million Praying Moms organization. What's that all about? Sure, I'd love to. We are an organization that helps moms um, realize that prayer is not a last resort but their first and best response to the challenges of motherhood. And really, it, it extends beyond motherhood. Um, that's the, the group of, of people that I try to reach. But prayer is so much more than what we make it out to be in the church today. Really, it is, it is the way God intends to communicate with His people. And there's so much for us there 
especially as moms who are constantly in need of God's wisdom for our children. So that's what we try to do at Million Praying Moms, is get moms on their knees, interceding for their children. How did your new book come about? Well, I think um, in a nutshell, Everyday Prayers for Peace is a book that meets women in the midst of their stress, uh, their anxiety, their busy lives, and it helps them see a path toward the kind of peace that God promised to leave us in Jesus. And I think one of the most important things that we're doing in the book and maybe where my passion for it came from was that it makes a distinction between worldly peace that says peace comes from whatever, you know, the the things that are going our way, the easy, good circumstances in our lives. When things are going well, we have peace. When things are not going well, we don't have peace. That's what the world says peace is. But true biblical peace is something completely different from that. And as women and, and as men as well, I would assume we have a tendency to try to stuff that worldly definition of peace into a biblical understanding of peace. And it just doesn't work. And then we wonder why we don't have peace. This book is an attempt to help women pursue peace the other way around by allowing what God says about it to influence how they see the world. Well, your first uh, topic, and there there are 30 of these topics, uh, where do we really get peace, question mark? That's how you open the meat of your book. Uh, Tell us Mm -hmm. about, uh, fill us in. Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned just a second ago, I think we look often for peace in the wrong places. And Jesus told us, you know, it's, it's, it's good news um, that, that Jesus gave us. He says, in me, you will have peace. And we're, so I think we're looking for it in, in the wrong places. We're looking for it in our circumstances. When Jesus said, I'm going to be your peace, he told the people that he was speaking with, Um, not only that he would be their peace, but that he would be their peace in spite of their circumstances. And Pat, he told us that this side of heaven, we're going to have trouble. So in, in those verses, he really undid this worldly definition of peace that said, that says your peace comes when everything is going well, or when your children are behaving or walking with the Lord, or when your relationships are all great. He said, no, In this world, you're going to have trouble. There are going to be things that don't go your way, but I'm going to be your peace. And that's the foundation of the entire thing is recognizing that it's in relationship with him that we find our peace first and foremost. Next topic, peace is not an emotion. Yeah, I love this one. Okay, this is my favorite thing that we learned, that my team learned when we were uh, beginning to research. There's a whole line of these prayer journals called Everyday Prayers. And uh, one of the things that we came across early on was that uh, things like peace and joy and patience are not feelings. They're fruit. Galatians 5 tells us that the believer in Jesus gets a seed of love, joy. We, We could maybe sing the song, right? Love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control planted in us when we come to Christ. And what that means, Pat, that it's so full of, of hope is that believers already have a seed of joy or peace um, or any of the other fruit of the Spirit living in us right now. And if those things are already in us, and if they're fruit, then they can be grown with love and attention and the choice to prune things uh, that are maybe not of God and nurture these fruits, 
they can grow stronger. And, you know, hope is not one of the, the fruit of the Spirit that's lift, listed in the Scriptures, but but knowing that as a child of God, I have peace already, and I can grow the amount of peace that's in my life fills me with hope. So that's been one of the most exciting things that I've learned about peace is that I already have it. As a child of God, I have it, and it can be grown. My guest is Brooke McLaughlin. She's in Southwest Virginia. And uh, we're talking about her book, Everyday Prayers for Peace. Now you write, peace is our is your gift. Peace is your gift. What's that mean? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting way to look at it. Again, kind of building on what we just said, um, that peace is a gift that Jesus gave us, and it's ours in Him, and it can be grown. Um, one of the one of the things that um, I like to tell is a story. My husband and I, several years ago, walked through a really painful set of circumstances. Um, Most of your listeners will identify and have walked through their own set of painful circumstances. But what we went through ranked up there as maybe one of the most painful things we've ever been through. And throughout the moments or months that followed, we were kind of confronted by that pain over and over again. It didn't just go away. It just kept kind of coming up and down and up and down. And we would we would have peace when things were good, and we would have a distinct lack of peace when things were down. And and one day I just decided, you know, I, I don't like this. It felt a little bit like a roller coaster, and I didn't like the ride. And one day as I saw the signs of kind of an impending downward swing, you know how when you're on a roller coaster, you're up there at the top, poised to make that slow motion, you know, terrifying plunge down to the other side. I, I felt like that was coming in our lives with this particular thing. And I felt like the Lord really spoke to my heart, and he just said, get off. He just said, get off. Choose not to take that ride anymore. I have given you peace. It's your gift through me. Let's do something different. And that day I wrote in my prayer journal, um, I said, no matter what happens in my life, regardless of whether this circumstance or any other circumstance in my life that I don't like ever changes, whether it ever heals. I have peace in my relationship with Jesus. He is my peace. He is my gift of peace. I don't have to wait until the ride is over to get peace. I can just choose to step off the ride and clasp on to him as my source of peace. So peace is a gift that God gives us as believers. Now, uh, Brooke, explain to us how not to be anxious. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite parts of of the book because it really dives into Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Uh, a few years ago, I was pondering those verses, and I'll just read them real quickly. They say, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And so I, I was reading those, and I thought to myself, Pat, what if I actually lived like those verses were true? Like, what if I actually tried to live them out when I feel anxious? And so in my own life, I began, when I felt those anxious feelings start to creep up, I would say to myself, stop. Do not be anxious for anything. So stop. Sometimes I would say it out loud. Sometimes I would say it internally. But I would stop it. I would make an effort to, to stop it from happening when, when I felt it coming. And then I would immediately go to God in prayer, wherever I was, at a football game, at home with my kids, in traffic, at work, didn't matter, wherever I was, 
I would try to go to God in prayer and tell him, I need peace right now, Lord, right this minute, and just ask him for what I needed. And as I began to do that, I began to feel a sense of peace. Sometimes it didn't come right away. Sometimes, like Jacob in Genesis, I had to wrestle with him for a little bit about it. Like I would have to go back and and refuse to leave until God gave me peace. But as I began to do that, God began to show up and give me peace. This is a promise he gives us. He says, I will give you peace. And as a bonus step, I I began to look at the next couple of verses in that passage, which tell us to look, to think and, and focus our minds on whatever is true and honorable and just and pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and whatever is worthy of praise. And as I began to put God's word into action in my life, I found out that God does truly meet us where we are with peace when we ask for it. Brooke McLaughlin is talking with us. All right, we've covered uh, those four topics. Now, uh, the next two, let's combine them. Bring the peace and in pursuit of peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fill us in. Yeah, as believers in Jesus, we have the kingdom of God at work in us and through us. Um, We have the Christ himself through the Holy Spirit walking with us, right? There's a song by Jason Gray called With Every Act of Love. And the lyrics say, with every act of love, we bring the kingdom come. These lyrics help me remember that I literally carry Jesus with me into every situation I encounter. And because of that, I have the ability to touch other people's lives with the kingdom through my own displays of love and kindness. And when I begin to see myself as a carrier of the kingdom, it helps me start enjoying things that could otherwise be difficult situations by bringing the peace that God gives me into situations with me wherever I go. And I think, um, you know, as, as we talk about, um, you know, learning to, to live that way, it just begins to, to permeate um, everything we do. And, and it helps us to want to, to learn to lead other people to peace, to serve other people in peace, and to begin to share with other people the peace that we have. Next topic. At all times, in every way, explain that. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one because I think sometimes people are, you know, we don't believe that. We we think, well, there is this thing that surely God cannot bring us peace in. Or I've had people say to me, Brooke, you don't get it. You've never had to deal with this. This particular thing, there's no peace here. But I do believe that you know, first of all, in Second Thessalonians 3.16, it tells us a couple important things about God. First of all, it tells us that God is the Lord of peace. He owns it. It's his. And because of that, he gets to define what it looks like. But it also tells us that he gives us peace at all times and in every way. And friends, I don't, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of things that I wish God would do differently than he does but I only wish that because I can't see the big picture and I don't think the same way that God does. If I did, I would probably agree with his methods, but for now I just have to trust them. And that means giving myself over to God's timetable for all of these things and believing that he can be Lord over and that he can bring peace to every single situation that his believers and his children encounter. Brooke, explain to us uh, topic number eight. Settle who's in control. So this was an important process for me because I dealt with fear a lot as a child. 
Um, and in his um, sovereignty and providence, the Lord allowed those fears to come to fruition. Um, when I was a young adult, uh, there, I was alone at home, and someone tried to break into my house. And as I was trying to process that fear and, and, um, and deal with the aftermath of that, the Lord showed me that a lot of my fear, that thankfully the Lord allowed me to stay safe in that moment. Um, nothing horrible happened to me other than, you know, just dealing with the fact that someone had tried to break in while I was there. But God showed me that I had a real lack of trust in his goodness in, in those circumstances. Um, as a part of my healing I had to ask myself if I would still think that God was good, even if my worst fears came true. And it, it took me a long time to answer that question. But when I did, I was free of the fear. And so for me, having peace and letting go of fear and, and things that I'm afraid of in my life had to do with settling who's in control and realizing that even if the worst things happen, God is still good and I can still trust him. My guest is Brooke McLaughlin. She's in Narrows, Virginia. And the book is called Everyday Prayers for Peace, a 30-day devotional and reflective journal for women. Uh, We have another segment with Brooke. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday at Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Brooke McLaughlin is our guest. We're talking about her book, Everyday Prayers for Peace. And Brooke, we've arrived at uh, this topic. Have a staid mind. Uh, What does that mean? I grew up, Pat, listening to an old hymn that most of your listeners will be familiar with that that uh, says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, mm. look full in his wonderful face, mm-hmm. and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Having a mind that is stayed on our Savior simply means controlling our thoughts and attention so that we're focused on the truth, God's character, his care for us, his forgiveness, love, compassion, provision, all of those things that God does for us instead of being focused on our own circumstances. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. You know, I once heard a pastor say, glance at your problems, gaze at Jesus. And I think he was 100% correct. Now I want you to explain to us, let peace rule. Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Um, I think uh, I'll I'll tell you a brief story to illustrate that point. The summer that my son played um, in uh, travel baseball when he was 13 years old, he uh, started to have some trouble with pitching. So before that, he had been an ace pitcher. Um, His 12-year year, he he, uh, pitched a no-hitter. He was like the team number one pitcher. And then all of a sudden, when you you hit 13U, you start for for the the baseball lovers in your your audience, you, you hit the big size field. So all of the bases get longer, the space between them gets longer, and the pitcher's mound moves back. And so he did not grow very much during that time between 12U and 13U. And so this ace pitcher that I had suddenly found himself struggling to throw strikes and suddenly found himself not having as much power as he used to have before. So 
I took him to his pitching coach. And uh, we, we looked it over. He watched him pitch. And after having watched him for a little bit, his pitching coach looked at him and said, um, you're, you're trying to get your power from the wrong place. You've, your, your stance has, you know, all, has been all messed up because you're, you're trying to make the ball go farther. He showed him, he, he positioned his body in the right place, the proper stance, and he showed him how to move it to get the most power. And then he said something to him that I won't forget. He said, now, just let the ball go across home plate. God, as our guide, has made his peace available to us through the person of his son. Our job is to let that peace rule in our hearts in place of other things that are designed to steal it. We might need correction, and, you know, we might have to, to train ourselves to do that. But God has given us this gift. It's our job to let it work in our lives. Now I want you to talk to us about filled to overflowing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when, when we're filled to overflowing with something, there's not much room for anything else. Think about um, if you have a cup of water. If the cup is full of water and you place an ice cube in it, what happens? It overflows, right? Because there was enough water in it to start with. So if we are placing, our, if we are filling ourselves to overflowing with, uh, with the message of God and understanding who he is, and what he does, then he is able to make us overflow with peace in times when we might not think we would otherwise. So I encourage people to, to pour themselves, pour God's word into themselves so that they can be overflowing with it. Now, explain to us reaping and sowing. We have a really large garden at the back of our property um, here in rural southwestern Virginia, and every spring and summer, my dad, uh, excuse me, my husband and his dad work themselves silly to prepare the earth. They, they work out there for hours and hours and hours, creating something special that everybody in our community comments on. It's really quite a, a nice um, garden that they do out there. But it demonstrates for me every single year that what we put in, we get out. It's simple in concept, but really very easy to practice, right? But even if it takes our whole lives, it's worth the effort. When we get to taste the goodness of God in what's produced. So I encourage people, put in, sow in, and God will, will reap. Now I want you to explain, don't be a line <laughs> dancer. <laughs> this one is funny, and I really debated on that, that, uh, that topic or that um, chapter title a little bit. But let me tell you a story to, to illustrate it. I think as Christians, we sometimes ask the wrong questions. When I was growing up in the thick of the purity movement, teenagers and young adults often asked, how far is too, hard, too far? And I think they genuinely wanted to know where the line was, right? So they, they didn't want to offend God. But that question also revealed a deeper misunderstanding of what God's Word says about sin. So imagine with me a line that's drawn in the sand. In this, you know, kind of weird game on the beach, you're asked to dance as close to the line as you possibly can without going over. And if you can do it, you win a prize. You really want that prize, so you start dancing. And the music starts, and in the beginning, your gaze is focused hard on that line, and your feet move in time to the music, and the line is all you can see. And in your mind, you're saying, don't step on the line. Don't step over the line over and over again. But over time, something changes. 
slowly, as you dance longer and harder, your resolve starts to weaken and the line starts to blur and your steps widen and become more carefree. And before you know what's happening, you accidentally step over the line. Game over, prize lost. If we look at Psalm 34:14, it gives us an entirely different way of looking at the question of the line or where does sin start. It doesn't tell us to dance as close to the line of sin as we can without going over. And it doesn't say to dance with evil and try not to get burned. What it actually says is turn away from evil and do good. Turn around with your back to the line and run as fast and as far away from it as you can. Flee in the opposite direction. And when we do that, when we live that way, we will automatically have more peace. Uh, Brooke McLaughlin is our guest. Brooke, as much as it depends on you, that's the next topic. Yeah, I think there's going to be things in our lives um, that we can't fix, right? Relationships that we can't find a lot of peace in or that we can't heal. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone. We should be trying to be at peace with everyone in our lives, whether we naturally get along with them or not. Um, but it does say in Romans twelve eighteen, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I tell the story in this chapter of a relationship of mine that was broken when I was caught in college and how I tried to have peace in that relationship and how it didn't necessarily go the way I wanted to. The rest of it is up to God. We do what we can, and we have to leave the results up to God. We can have peace when we do that. Now explain to us how to recognize God's wisdom. Boy, that's a good one. Yeah, it is good. You know, I, as a mother, ask for wisdom all the time. I mean, honestly, Pat, probably every day, multiple times a day. And um, I think as we read God's word, we, we learn to recognize his wisdom more and more and more. But it can be hard in the beginning. Um, thankfully, scripture helps us understand what to look for as we're recognizing God's wisdom. And what I like to, to say is, if what I feel like God is leading me to do is um, pure, or peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere, then I can be pretty sure it's from God. If it lacks these things, it's probably not. It's all about measuring uh, what we want to do and what we believe is the right thing to do against the Word of God, because it does give us wisdom. We have time for one more. Learning not to be clumsy. You know, I think um, I think we have to, to try and um, learn our way um, around the Word of God, right? We're told that the Word of God, um, in, in Psalm 119, it tells us that the Word of God keeps our ways pure. It keeps us from sinning. It brings us delight. It strengthens us. It gives us comfort in affliction. It teaches us good judgment, and it gives us knowledge. It gives us life. It makes us wise. It provides us with understanding, gives light to our paths, fills us with joy, and it gives us a hiding place and a shield, and it gives us peace. With all of these, you know, wonderful, glorious benefits of the Word of God at work in our lives, um, is it any wonder that people who love the Word of God have peace and protection against stumbling? Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law, nothing can make them stumble. 
My guest has been Brooke McLaughlin. Her book, Everyday Prayers for Peace. Uh, We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Terry Smith, our first guest from New York, talking about his book, The Lord Bless You, and then Brooke McLaughlin down there in Southwest Virginia, talking about everyday prayers for peace. Uh, Folks, I just want to remind you again, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. And you can be a big help. Go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, and just check in. We need to hear from you. Uh, Just tell us of your interest. Tell us what you think. Orlandodreamers.com. And uh, we're working hard at it. Orlando's ready to be a Major League Baseball city. And uh, we need your help. Orlandodreamers.com. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're plugged into AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a wonderful, wonderful week ahead. Uh, A wonderful new year uh, ahead of us. And God bless you. We'll see you next weekend on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word.